If you've been feeling overwhelmed with anxiety lately, try listening to a guided meditation on the Meditation for Anxiety podcast. Meditation is a proven natural way to help you calm down and dissolve stress so you can feel lighter and happier. So subscribe for free today to the Meditation for Anxiety podcast by searching for Meditation for Anxiety on your favorite podcast player. For the best way to fall asleep with Nightfalls, you can now become a premium supporter. Enjoy the entire back catalogue of Nightfalls classics, all with a rich, immersive and totally ad-free experience. If you love falling asleep to Nightfalls, Nightfalls Premium will elevate your sleep while helping to support myself and the team. We love creating Nightfalls, but without supporters, it wouldn't be possible. Join Nightfalls Premium today in just two taps on both Apple Podcasts or via the Supercast link found in the show notes for all other podcast players. Your sleep will thank you for it, and so will I. Hi, I'm Jeffrey, and welcome back to Night Falls. Join me around the campfire at the foot of these mystical falls for a podcast of bedtime stories designed to help you sleep. Each week, we'll begin with a brief meditation before settling into our story for the evening. And don't worry if you fall asleep before the end. I want you to drift off whenever you're ready. Tonight's tale begins not far from the place I grew up, but precedes my first breath by many thousands of years. Come, warm your hands by the fire, and I'll tell you the story of Professor James Sterling, an archaeologist who discovers the relics of the Roman Empire in the unlikeliest of places, Edinburgh, Scotland. This is a story of discovery of following your curiosity and trusting your intuition. Before we begin peeling back the layers of time, why don't we take a minute to rediscover ourselves? Coming to a comfortable position, take a moment to simply breathe, to be Draw in a deep breath and remind yourself of who you are. Without the noise and chaos of the world beyond your body to sway your judgment, what is most important to you? Exhaling, let go of any of the expectations placed upon you by the people in your life be anyone other than who you are now, at this 
fairy moment. Breathing in deeply, know that you're enough. The things that make you happy are valid and important. As you exhale, release yourself from the pressure of any goals, priorities or expectations other people have put upon you. You have enough dreams of your own to contend with. There is nowhere to be and nothing for you to prove. All there is for you to do is simply lie here relaxing. Though we don't wear the bronze-plated armour that the Romans did all those thousands of years ago, as you draw in another deep breath, consider the masks you wear for the world around you. As you sigh out, let down the barriers and allow those shields to fall away. Let go of who you think you are supposed to be, of who you build yourself up to be in the waking and working hours of the day, and be as you are now, in this very moment. Now, if you're feeling relaxed, Professor Sterling's journey of discovery can begin. Professor James Sterling paused and took a moment of quiet contemplation. Resting his hands on the podium before him, he surveyed his attentive audience, who sat comfortably within a cosy lecture hall at Edinburgh University. Noticing a student had raised her hand, he nodded and gave her his full attention as she asked about his recent archaeological find, a rare discovery that had made the news at the time. Her question brought a smile to his face, and the tanned skin around his brown eyes crinkled in amusement. That's an excellent question. Thank you for asking it, the professor said. His eyes glazed over slightly as he recalled the sights and sounds of the dig and wistfully relayed how, with the help of his team, he'd located the buried artefact. As he spoke, he absent-mindedly ran his hand through his wavy dark hair, revealing a peppering of silver at his temples. Even though the professor's lecture had officially ended twenty minutes ago, he continued answering every question put forth from the eager students, who seemed just as enamoured by the prospect of revealing the hidden secrets and wonders of the past as he was. They didn't even mind his clumsy jokes, although there was the occasional groan at some of his worst quips, which the professor accepted good-naturedly. The questions finally petered out, and the professor warmly thanked the students and staff 
for making him feel so welcome. He pointed to a clipboard at the side of the room and said if anyone wished to be considered for a place on his team in the future, they should put their details down. The student who'd asked the opening question was the first to leave her seat and move towards the clipboard. As the hall began to empty, James started to pack his notes into his battered backpack, which he'd had for years, but which he could never quite bring himself to part with. It had been patched up so many times that there was barely any of the original material left. An auburn-haired woman approached him, looking a little apprehensive. Professor Sterling, hello. We've been emailing each other. I'm Kathy Barnett. Yes, of course. I've been expecting you. He moved closer and extended his hand. Her hand was warm in his. I'm intrigued at what you've discovered. Your emails have been enigmatic, to say the least. She broke into a smile, causing dimples to appear on her lightly freckled face. I didn't want to say too much in case I was wrong. Are you sure you have time to come with me? My car's outside if you'd like to go there now. James confirmed he'd already cleared the rest of his day, so he was free to leave immediately. Before they left, he wanted to extend another thank you to the people who'd organised his visit. He told Cathy it would only take a minute. But it took more than a minute, because some of the staff had books of his, and they said they would love it if he could sign them. The professor didn't hesitate to do so, and took a few moments to speak to each person as he autographed their books. Once all the books had been signed, James and Cathy left the university and headed towards the car park. The professor took the opportunity to ask about Cathy's work. In her first email, she'd mentioned she was a walking tour guide she had included a link to her website, and being the inquisitive type, he had clicked on the link. He'd been impressed with the variety of tours she offered and the glowing testimonials she'd received. He told her that as they walked along. Katie blushed at his words and tucked a strand of hair behind her ear. She said, It's easy to be enthusiastic about your job when you love it so much. I've been to a few of your lectures in Oxford and I know you feel the same about your work, Professor Sterling. Please, call me James. Professor Sterling sounds so stuffy. 
They reached Kathy's car and she insisted on putting his precious backpack safely in the boot. A few minutes later, they drove away from the beautiful city of Edinburgh and towards the coast. On the way, James spotted a signpost at the side of the road. He remarked on it. Crammond, I've never been there, but I know colleagues who have. Does your find have anything to do with the history of the place? Cathy cast him a glance and confirmed it did. He asked further questions, but the only response he got from Cathy was silence and an enigmatic smile. James turned the conversation to Cathy's job once more and asked her what her favourite walks were and why. Cathy's face lit up as she spoke about the splendour of Edinburgh City and the spectacular countryside which surrounded it. The city was steeped in rich history which never failed to captivate the tourists she spoke to on her tours. James became entranced by the radiant glow on her face and his look lingered a little longer than was polite. It wasn't long before they arrived at the picturesque seaside village of Cramon. Dozens of white houses stood in the wharf looking out to sea. Small sailing boats bobbed gently on the blue horizon. James got out of the car and lifted his head to feel the warmth of the sun on his face. A breeze brought the unmistakable salty tang of the sea his way. Cathy retrieved his backpack from the boot and then took him to a cosy cafe. Once inside, they had an amiable argument about who would buy the coffee and cake. Cathy won the discussion by reminding James he was her guest. James laughed and gracefully admitted defeat. Over their refreshments, Cathy asked him what he knew about Cramon. The professor said he was aware of the settlement sites that had been discovered, dating back to around 8,500 BC. He gave her a studied look. I suspect you haven't brought me here for that. One of my colleagues came here a few years ago, and he told me something about a Roman fort. I can't recall the full details now, but I wonder if your find has anything to do with the Romans. A ready smile gave the answer away. She told him Cramond had been chosen by the Romans as the ideal place to construct a military fort and it turned out to be the largest one in Scotland. But despite its perfect location, the Romans hadn't stayed more than 40 years in total before abandoning the area and leaving for warmer climes further south. 
she abruptly stopped talking and apologised for boring him with one of her favourite topics. You haven't bored me in the slightest, James replied. I'm just as fascinated with the Romans as you are. Now, when are you going to show me this elusive artefact? Cathy said it would be better if she showed him where she had found it first, and then explained she'd have to check the tide times before they set off. James wondered what the tide had to do with anything, but then he remembered something interesting his colleague had told him about this village. James looked out at the cafe window and towards the small island which lay a short distance away. It was only accessible via a raised causeway which could only be crossed at low tide. They left the cafe and walked alongside the River Almond and towards the exposed causeway. Tall pylons rose at the side of it like guardians on duty. Cathy said they had an hour before the tide came in again. The walk to the island was a pleasant one and James took in the sweeping views of the sea and the wide expanse of open sky. Their talk returned to the Romans and those who had made this area their home all those years ago. James wondered how the young soldiers must have felt as they stood at their posts on a Scottish evening and looked at this landscape, a vista which had changed little over the years. The sea lapped gently on either side of the causeway. The shadows cast by the tall pylons danced across the water. Cathy asked if he knew about the lioness statue which had been found in the River Almond and how it was from Roman times. He didn't know the story and asked her to tell him more. She moved a little closer so that he could hear her better and then told him how a ferryman called Robert Graham had spotted the sandstone statue in the mud the mouth of the river in 1997. When it was pulled free, everyone was amazed at the immense size of the figure and how well preserved it was. She said, It's on display in the National Museum of Scotland in Edinburgh. It's worth a visit to see how detailed the carving is. If you like, I can take you there later. There are many displays which I think you'd like. James said he would like that very much. They reached the end of the path and walked onto the island. Cathy took the lead and directed James towards a small wooded area in the middle of the island. The sun cast its rays through the branches of the trees, causing dappled shadows to flicker across the grass. 
Cathy came to a stop next to one of the largest trees. She pointed to the ground and explained it was the exact spot where she'd found the item. It had been quite by accident, and whilst she would have liked to say it was some inner instinct which had led her there, it was the tripping over a fallen branch which had led to the discovery. She'd been on her phone at the time, and after tumbling forward, her phone had flown through the air and landed in the undergrowth. She took something from her bag and said, It was whilst I was searching for my phone that I found this. Part of it was sticking up through the ground. She passed the object to him. James looked at the small piece of thin wood which had been placed inside a protective bag. His eyes widened in surprise, and he found himself at a loss for words. He gently held the bag up and slowly turned it around. He finally spoke, his voice barely above a whisper. It can't be. It just can't. That's what I thought, Cathy said. But what else could it be? And think about the history of this place. It makes sense. They stared in silence at the item, which was no bigger than a postcard. Cathy put her hand on his arm. Is it a Roman tablet? Like the ones found at Vindolanda? James said it could be. He told Cathy he'd been fascinated by them since their discovery had been made public in 1973. He had visited the Roman fort of Vindolanda soon after and been amazed at how well preserved the tablets were. He got lost in a description of the items and how they'd been accidentally discovered during routine excavation work. He stopped talking when he saw the bemused expression on her face. He shook his head. I'm telling you something you already know. I apologise. Have you seen any of the translations? They're fascinating. I have, Cathy replied. I think my favourite letter is the one from a soldier who asked for more beer to be sent because supplies were running low. James smiled. Me too. I liked the one from a soldier who reprimanded a friend for not writing as much as he should. They fell into an animated discussion about the tablets and how they'd been used by the Romans to correspond with each other. Not just in the fort, but to other settlements along the nearby Hadrian's Wall, and even to places further away, like York, Catterick, and London. The letters contained military information, such as work assignments, troop numbers, 
letters of recommendation for promotion and requests for leave. In addition to the military correspondence, letters had been written by families of the soldiers, along with people who lived and worked in Vindolanda, including the keeper of the bathhouse, a shoemaker, construction workers and doctors. The professor gave the artefact in his hand a closer look. I wonder where this came from and if it's part of the Vindalanda tablets. Perhaps a soldier from there came to this island for a work assignment or for a holiday. He was so lost in his musings that he didn't realise Cathy had moved away from his side until he heard a shuffling noise. When he looked to his left, he saw Cathy kneeling next to the undergrowth and pushing shrubs to one side. When he asked what she was doing, she said, there could be more letters. She stopped moving. Her eyes went wide. Oh, I shouldn't be doing this. I'm interfering in what could be an important archaeological find. James considered the matter of more letters for a few seconds, before deciding it wouldn't hurt to have a cursory glance, just in case there were any more. He went over to her side placed his backpack on the ground. He took a leather zipped case out and opened it. Inside were a variety of tools, including small brushes, trowels, sieves and lollipop sticks. He told Cathy he never went anywhere without his portable toolkit. He handed her a trowel and together they began to scoop the soil away to allow them to examine the area in more detail. The professor and his companion were soon fully absorbed in their quest and didn't notice the passing of the day. The afternoon drew to a close and the sun sank lower. They were covered in mud and leaves, but neither of them minded. A while later, Cathy sat back on her heels and stared at the ground in front of her. In a whisper, she called James to her side. Silently, she pointed at the sliver of wood which was now visible. Her eyebrows raised in question. James slowly nodded. And then... Like ballet dancers performing an intricate move, Cathy cautiously got to her feet and stepped backwards. James moved forward and took her place. He began to take photos of the item, which, upon closer inspection, did appear to be another Roman relic. With Cathy's help, he assembled a makeshift canopy over the area, using things from his toolkit. James wasn't sure how the item was in such a well-preserved state, but 
they would find the answer to that in due time. Using his brushes, the professor cleared away some of the soil from the tablet, and a faint symbol on the top right-hand side soon became visible. In a careful and measured manner, James extracted the wood and placed it inside a bag. He took photos of it and added some of the one which Cathy had found. After texting a colleague, who was given the name of an expert who had translated some of the Vindolanda tablets, James sent the photos to her with a polite request for possible information on the items. After a short discussion, James and Cathy decided to carry on searching the area, and it wasn't long before more pieces of thin wood were unearthed. James didn't want to disturb the ground any further, and placed a second protective sheet over the area, before cordoning it off using some tape from his backpack. Cathy phoned one of her council contacts in Cramond and told them what had happened. She asked if visitors could be kept away from the island to protect the site. James smiled as he heard the excited reply from the other person on the line. Following confirmation from the council, he made some telephone calls which would set the excavation work in progress. Cathy and James took a last look at the ground before walking away and heading back to the causeway. They didn't get the chance to return to the mainland because the tide had come in. Cathy shook her head. In all the years I've been coming here, I've never been caught out by the tide. Guess we'll have to wait it out. James professed he couldn't imagine a more beautiful setting to while away the hours. Feeling concerned for Cathy's welfare, he asked if there was anyone she needed to contact to let them know she'd be home late. Her eyes softened as she looked at him. No, there was no one to rush home for, and she couldn't think of a better way to while away the hours either. They walked over to a bench, sat down, and gazed out to sea. Cathy said, Just like you and your toolkit, I never travel anywhere without my emergency supplies. I have a flask of hot tea in my bag and some shortbread made to my grandmother's recipe. Would you like some? James said he would thanked Cathy for her offer. The buttery shortbread melted in James's mouth and the fortifying tea was strong and rich. A companionable silence settled on the couple as they took in the delightful scenery, the only sounds being the cries of soaring seagulls and the waves 
lapping upon the shore. After a while, they began to talk again and discussed how the Roman letters could have made their way onto the island. Cathy's theory was that a disgruntled Roman postman could have dropped them there in a small act of rebellion. James thought that was as good a suggestion as any. Maybe the letters were from Roman visitors who had spent time in Cramon and had become enchanted by its ethereal beauty, which they had expressed in words to their families. Or perhaps they were written by the soldiers who'd been stationed there. They pictured a Roman soldier staring out at the same view as them, pondering his future in this new country. Did he think about the sunny climes of Rome and its endlessly hot days? Or had he fallen under the spell of Scotland and the beauty of the mountainous terrain, the bewitching lochs and the bracing winds which made you feel glad to be alive? Cathy and James once more settled into a comfortable silence They looked out to sea and became lost in the tranquility of the gently undulating water. The magic of Cramond Island had captivated them too.